Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Mm. Welcome back to the Dominion Podcast, episode 37. Wow. You guys are on a roll. Yeah, I know. That's 37. I don't even know how to quantify that. Is there like at a certain point, will you do like a giveaway, do you think? If we had something to give away, I suppose we could do that. Art lessons? Alex, <laughs> when did we uh, when did we put the first one out? Because it's been roughly one a week, mm-hmm. but I feel like we started last winter around this time. Yeah, I don't know the exact date. Yeah, time is a blur. Yeah, to we me. did take some time off last August and whatnot when you were on sabbatical. So. Mm-hmm. Well, welcome back. I am your. Uh, well, I guess I'm your. Yeah, de- you're the host, Delta host today with the uh, two alphas in the room. You know, and so we got. Uh, Alex Klusterman. And uh, this and, guy. And Ben. Ben Inglis. The Inglis right. Persuasion. Brother of uh, Tristan, who, of course, is the owner and proprietor of the Upper 40 studio here in mm-hmm. Peterborough, Ontario. Always thankful for this uh, this location. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful location. Yeah. How was your guys' weeks? Good? Yeah. What day is it? Thursday? Thursday. Yeah, it was a good hey, week. Hey, that's right. Back in the saddle is my first week back. Yeah. Kind of in oh, this right. of things. Yeah. Uh, good good uh, uh, worship service on Sunday. You you remembered how to preach? Yeah. I mean, I, it was <clears throat> it was kind of like starting a new job. I felt <laughs> like I felt like I was starting a new job. Why? Like, were they rev- reviewing your performance just to make sure that? Uh, yeah. I, I always, <laughs> yeah. Sermonreviews.com. <laughs> Sunday night, that's where I go. But it felt good too. I made the yeah. mistake of reading all of Genesis 1. That wasn't a mistake. I listened to your ser- your uh, sermon. I liked it. Yeah, it wasn't a mistake. It was intentional, but but I was struggling to breathe at points. Oh, I see. Right. And then and then I had the thought, well, you can't not. I can't say, well, I'm going to cut it short because of what I have to say is more important. <laughs> <laughs> so, guys, like, I only well, have a limited amount of breath yeah. here. <laughs> you should have just brought the oxygen machine up with you. You know, I know. Yeah. Darth Vader it. Yeah. But yeah, so it's been it's been good to get back. It was good to serve the church that way and and uh you know, be back in the saddle. So praise God for that for yeah. people listeners, you know. The last couple of months have been um interesting. Interesting. They've been <laughs> yeah. good. The Lord's used it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, thank God it was a sign of his faithfulness as well just to be back doing that. Well, yes, well we're Glad to have you back, and mm-hmm. I'm sure your congregation's very glad to have you back up there as well. Ben's probably glad because I am glad you were it probably running nice. running it... out of sermon ideas. <laughs> I only only got like 13, so I was getting pretty near the end. <laughs> you were starting to have to get back and cycle through them again. <laughs> That's right. Hopefully, they won't. <laughs> I knew title two and a half months ago. Yeah. Uh, no, it was just great to be able to sit and receive the word of God and just enjoy worship. And uh, I mean, I, I, I love preaching, but it's just mm-hmm. nice to be ministered to. That's right. Well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, so now you're back and uh, now there's another uh, dragon that has appeared in Canada that needs, yeah. that needs slaying. So yeah. um, 
Or as we as we would say in Canada, there's another hill that the church will refuse to die on. Yeah, another, uh, it's another, the next one. Yeah. The next hill for us to not die on is uh, Bill C four. I'm sure everybody's familiar with this by now. We've been uh, hearing about it from all all sorts of different sources. It's of course the uh, quote unquote anti conversion bill that the Parliament of Canada just passed and made law a couple weeks ago, mm-hmm. which uh, ostensibly bans, um, I guess hooking up electrodes to people and trying to get them to not be attracted to people of the same sex anymore. But uh, how it looks like it's going to play out is it's going to be used as a uh, weapon against parents and uh, religious Mm -hmm. people. So I don't know where we want to start with this. I mean, a lot of people have sort of described the bill um, and the background of how it how it passed. So maybe we'll skip that and just um, maybe you could read a couple portions of it so we can sort of see the. Yeah, I've got I've got some uh, text here. So. It will criminalize, among other things, uh, quote, causing another person to undergo undergo conversion therapy, promoting or advertising conversion therapy, um, which which is ambiguous what that means. In the preamble of the bill, it says the belief that, quote, heterosexuality, cisgender, gender identity, and gender expression that conforms to the sex assigned to a person at birth are to be preferred over other sexual orientations, gender identities, and gender expression. So the idea that that is preferable is a myth. Hmm. Um, And they define conversion therapy as a practice, treatment, or service designed to change a person's sexual orientation to heterosexual, change a person's gender identity to cisgender, change a person's gender expression so that it conforms to the sex assigned to the person at birth, uh, repress or reduce non-heterosexual attraction or sexual behavior. Notice the pattern a, here is it's, word salad. it's, it's <laughs> um, criminalizing you from in- encouraging someone in only one direction. That's right. That is towards... Uh, heterosexual, yep. you know, yeah. your you gender. You can't have any preconceived notions of, of what is a preferable sex to land on. But but no, it, you can, you can go the as, other way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You yeah. actually can say um, that there's no, your your gender identity is not attached to your biological. Right. That's right, yeah. Which yeah. is that, and for, for a lot of people, some of these terms might even be weird, like cisgender. Uh, that term basically means that you are, your gender is the same as your sex. Now, yeah. I, I I don't even accept those two categories, the gender mm-hmm. sex difference that the um, activists are using. I mean, I believe in biological sex, and yeah. that's about it. I mean, yeah. gender uh, technically is a word. Uh, I found this out a couple of weeks ago. It's it's just a word for um, nouns. Like that, that's a grammatical term. Yeah, right. We wouldn't we wouldn't use that to describe people. But now we've got uh, a distinction between. Um, how you feel and your actual DNA. Yeah. Which we need to reject that distinction. But cisgender is meaning you're you feel the way your your body is. Mm. Right? Which is which is not supposed to be normal mm-hmm. according to that. Yeah, so maybe we could discuss how far down you have to get to the point where you are labeling an objective thing like biological sex as a myth. Yeah. I mean, that's not something you wake up and decide to do. That's yeah. the result of a long kind of descent into madness. Yeah. Um, it's it's the willful rejection and rebellion against definitions and limits. Right. And 
Um, the last point I wanted to make, let's discuss that, the definitions and limits, because that's really what this is about. Note, though, in the bill, it, it's not really about conversion, because one, as you said, conversion therapy is a practice of like coercing someone Nobody's out doing of that. their sexual orientation. No one That's, does the that. The only time you see that is when you're watching a movie about Christian people on Netflix. Yeah, it's it's, it's like, like no one to, does that. In Christian, the Christian view of not only conversion, but how we overcome sin in our lives isn't through right. coercion. Um it's a it's a willing act on our part of repentance mm-hmm. and a and, work of the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit. So, like you 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 Christians don't believe you can not only that you should you shouldn't, but you can't coerce someone out of sin. Right. Uh, so it's it's right off the bat your flag should go up and say what is this really about? Yeah. And then you yeah. look at the conversion part and you realize wait a second, this isn't even really about not converting people. Because you're allowed to convert children away from a heterosexual, cisgender view of things to the opposite. You're allowed to groom kids. You're allowed to counsel them. You're allowed to mutilate them. This is the crazy part. So if your 12-year-old kid sees something on YouTube about this, Mm -hmm. and maybe they start thinking about it, they go talk to a teacher or a guidance counselor at school, they're not obliged to inform the parents. Mm Mm-hmm. Of what the kid is doing, yeah, and it could go so far as they they could be giving puberty blockers or uh, even um, without consent, without consent from the parents. And now with this bill, if the parents object and attempt to take the child out of that situation, even even if they seek help in another country, mm-hmm. uh, there's a there's a penalty of up to five years in prison. Yeah. So really, this is, it's very disingenuous yeah. to say that's even against conversion because no, you're not. You're against a particular form. Now, uh, sorry, you, you finished what nope, you thought. No, go ahead. I was just going to ask, do you have the portion of the bill where it actually de- defines conversion therapy? But that's what I was reading. Okay, that's what you were reading from. Um, you basically, a practice or treatment or service designed to change a person's sexual orientation to heterosexual. There was a number of others, and one of them I, I seem to recall was to lessen uh, homosexual attraction or to reduce... To reduce non-heterosexual that's attraction. It. That's the one. Or sexual behavior. And and this criminalizes... This means... It's actually very discriminatory because it means that people who don't want to have those desires... All of us have perverted sexual desires. Mm-hmm. All of us. Um, Jesus himself said that if a man even looks at a woman with lustful intent, he's committed adultery... Uh, part of the, you know, our doctrine of the fall teaches that every single part of our being was corrupted by sin. And in Christ, we are made new creation and we are set free from the power of sin, but we're not freed from its presence. And that's only going to happen at the resurrection. Um, so all of us, not only our minds, but our and our emotions, our sexuality, whether just because we're creatures and finite or because we're sinners, is not all that it should be. And is tainted by sin. So in a sense, you know, even as a heterosexual person, it doesn't mean that my desires are all pure. Um, So someone who, like all Christians, wants to um, move towards purity and holiness to the Lord and their sexuality is actually forbidden from doing so. Uh, even if it, they are willing to do, they want right. to. They're not allowed to seek that out because the counseling that would be offered could be criminalized. 
Um, so it's actually really discriminatory. But why don't we why don't we talk about that? About this is really what you want to say, not the tip of the iceberg, but the the end of a long process of decline. Mm-hmm. Um, this didn't spring up out of nowhere. And um, I mean, part of what I preached about on Sunday is that it's we need to think about the worldview that's beneath this, not just God says that there's a man and there's a woman, and that's true. But also, why would someone ever say this? And if you can't address that, you're not really That's engaging right. in the conversation. And what Carl Truman helpfully points out in his book, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, he's discussing our present understanding of who we are. Um, and he goes through an intellectual kind of history of that. He he borrows the phrase, I forget from who, of expressive individualism. Yeah, I think it was Rousseau. It's... Um, it started with an R. It wasn't Rousseau. No. Was it uh, one of the poets, like Byron? Because he talked a lot about Byron in that. No, I forget who it was. But oh, Reef? Maybe. Reef. Yeah. But he, um, it's the idea that the true mm-hmm. self is a psychological self. Right. And um, what we need to do is be able to conform our actions to that and to not be repressed in doing that. This was very helpful to me. Uh, in in that book, this was might be the most enlightening thing, is that we, when we think of secularism, the call of secularism was that everybody's free to do kind of whatever they want, and yeah. you know, there's no um, top down, um, I guess, legislation of religion and all this sort of stuff. But that was a lie, mm-hmm. right? Because now we're at a point where you you not only have to tolerate people, you have to affirm the people. And that was helpful because if you are a person uh, who believes they're transgender, and your 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 expression of yourself, you're you're essentially trying to make the world around you conform to your mind, yeah. rather than the yeah. other way around. Yes, right. And if and if you can't do that, you're actually being inhibited in your self-expression, and therefore you can't be a whole human being. Yeah, which means that anyone that would inhibit that is an oppressor. That's right. So then it's actually immoral to disagree with that view. It's unethical. And this is why we're seeing all the language of, of hate. Um, uh, as I watched this video of Matt Walsh this week with two uh, trans fellows on on Dr. Phil, and uh, I th- saw one of their posts afterwards, and they, were, they felt they like had nightmares all night because mm. of what he said to them. And it wasn't anything mean. It was just mm-hmm. define your terms. But it's like, ah, oh, I can't. You know, it's a, it actually causes psychological trauma. Uh, because because, the, because you, you no longer have a category for actually being challenged and confronted because your desires and the way you think is inherently yeah, good. That's right. And they're more important than the actual physical world. Yeah. But how tyrannical is that? Because what if other people disagree? Like, what about that? What about Matt Walsh's internal desires? Right. And so it's actually just an illusion. It's a lie. It's not really that everyone can live out their sense of who they are in the world. That's not possible because there will be inherent conflict in that. So really, it's a battle of power. Yeah. You just have the hierarchy of the uh, intersectionality, right? How yeah. Many oppressions do you own? Exactly. And then uh, it's a power game. important all the way down. So Matt mm-hmm. Walsh, being a, a middle aged white male, would be a the bottom, his desires are not count for anything. Yeah. Catholic yeah. to boot. Oh, yeah, yeah. so even lower. Yeah. And what is, been, we would say, what is beneath that impulse is several things theologically. One, um, 
is just the rejection of definitions and limits, which are inherent to living in uh, a reality that is created by and defined by God. And that's why I read Genesis 1. I mean, Genesis teaches us um, that there is such a thing as objective reality and that this world is a certain way. I was reading Pennington about his book, Jesus as, as Philosopher. It's really good. And one comment he makes is that we tend to imagine the ancient philosophers as ethereal and pie-in-the-sky um, kind of conversations, but they weren't at all. It was, what is reality and how do we conform our lives to that? Because right. they recognize that we will live better lives, healthier, happier lives. Um, we will flourish when we live in line with the way the world is. But there's an inversion now that says we will live happier, fuller lives when reality conforms to us, not when we conform to reality. And conforming, I mean, that word is a dirty word. Like, I don't know when it started to go bad. Like the 60s, you know, is definitely a time when that took on a whole new level of yeah. negativity. Um, and then you have the, rom the romantic notion of the rebel and this type of thing. But yeah, we, what it's, it's a classic case of what the scriptures call evil, they call good. And he, the nature of human sin is that it hates and resents um, the pattern of reality that we see in the world and wants to determine for itself. You know, that's what happened with Adam and Eve. Yeah. Right? Has God said, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah, it's just such a deception where we think that totally uh, unfettered, um, we define reality according to how we want uh, is is the path of freedom. Yeah. It's like once we get there, once we throw off all restraints, all external authority, all external reality, um, then we'll be completely free. Mm. And uh, But yeah, it's just, it's just a lie. It leads to, like any idolatry, it leads to misery. The sorrow of those who run after idols will multiply. Yes. Right? And when you, yeah, uh, try to shape your own reality, it's, it's just, it always leads to misery, right? And oppression. And oppression, yeah. The irony is that underneath the language of victimhood, um, which is really an attempt to gain the moral high ground because mm -hmm. the victim is whoever's the most victimized is yeah. at the top of the moral mountain. Um, Which is weird. It's actually because, oppression. Because they, you know, this worldview believes that power is evil. So let's give power to the most oppressed person. Yeah. Like it doesn't make any sense. Well, it believes your power is evil. Right. Yeah. But my power is not evil. Right. And when I exercise power, I'm just doing it as one of the oppressed. But when you exercise power, you're doing it as an oppressor. And and this the the sad thing is, this goes as all idols, they promise one thing and deliver another. I mean, the end of, of absolute self-expression is hell, as you read in the in the scripture. I mean, those who pursue these things without any repentance and um faith in Christ. That just you get what you want, yeah, and, yeah. and, and it's a judgment, how, yeah. And yeah. we read in Romans one, it's actually God's judgment to give people that kind of to their desires. It's like here, you want this, go for it. Yeah. See where that leads, right? Yeah, and, and it leads to the 
the unraveling of their humanity. Yeah. But but larger than that, the unraveling of society because this uh, stable society has always been built on the back of of the nuclear family. Yeah. And um and marriage and procreation and mm-hmm. and that's that was God's intention in making us. Mm-hmm. Um. So and that, that, and that was the judge, first. Yeah. That was the first point of attack that Satan used as well. Yeah. Right. Going after the the bond between Adam and Eve. And, yeah. No, no, no. It's, it's... Mm-hmm. What does it say about our culture that not only this would be permitted, but this would be seen as a virtue? Like, we are in a position where there's a total inversion. It's not just a toleration. Say, you know, 60s hippie culture. Um, it was kind of like uh, love is love, let live, live and let live. You know, I remember Trudeau, like the state should stay out of the bedroom. It's kind of this attitude of we're not saying it's right or wrong. We're saying it's none of your business and and I should be able to do what I want. Just leave us alone. Um, can that philosophy last, though? No, it can't. I don't think well, it can. No, you look at judges when every, went, every man did what was right in his own eyes. Yeah. And evil was called good and good was called evil. I mean, yeah. you read some of the chapters in there and it's jarring how depraved things got so quickly, right? Yeah. It can't sustain. At some time, at some point, it just has to collapse. There's nothing to build on. Mm-hmm. But uh, a lot of damage can be done before that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, so kind of, what is I guess the Christian response to um, the normalization of of unreality yeah. and the hierarchy of the psychological self? Mm-hmm. Uh, how can we as Christians extend? Because ultimately, we don't just want to demolish a narrative. We want these people to repent, uh, repent yeah. and follow Jesus and, mm-hmm. and pursue yeah. uh, that identity. Mm-hmm. So, um, but, but kind of conflict and responding to these things is, is automatically seen as, as unloving yeah. by many, right? It's, it's uh, like, how dare you? Yeah. So what is kind of uh, the best mm-hmm. way for Christians to kind of respond to? Well, Go ahead, Jeremy. No, no, you go up. I think we need to reject the idea outright that if someone doesn't like you, you're doing something wrong. Mm. Because a lot of us have grown up with the assumption that um, if we do things right, people will at least tolerate us. And uh, faithfulness as a Christian means being the kind of person that people would like, even if they don't agree with. And when we come into such a conflict of worldviews, um, as we are now, if we think that faithfulness equals being respected and admired or elite, or even tolerated uh, by the surrounding culture, I mean, we, we can't even begin to reach them because we will change our message. We will redefine repentance. We will redefine sin. We will redefine Jesus. We will redefine yeah. everything. Yeah, that can't possibly be your measure of faithfulness. No, yeah. but for many people it is. It is, yeah. yeah. And I think that they're not ready to really engage with really lost people. But the good news of the gospel is not that, you know, God can take a really likable person and just move that conversation over the edge. It's that he can take people who hate him, Mm -hmm. who hate his limits, hate his definitions, hate his authority, um, want to destroy any semblance of his image in the world and turn them into his family Mm -hmm. through the gospel. 
And so it's it's kind of going to reveal for the church. I mean, where is our confidence and where is the power? Right. Is it in our is it in our likability, our cultural capital, or is no, it we, in the we power? We don't have of, any more of that. Yeah, that's gone. Yeah, <laughs> thank goodness. Yeah, that way we can get on to like actually being obedient. Yeah. That's yeah. Um, I think the the mes- message. I mean, that's obviously going to be different in every case, but. Um, and we use discernment as we're uh, speaking with people on these issues. But I think the main point has to be that people need to realize that they're not God and that they, they don't actually have the power to control the world around them like mm-hmm. they think they do. Um, and so I think we need to let them know that so that when it does come crashing around them, they'll be reminded of what we said. Mm-hmm. Say, listen, you may think that you can just change who you are because of how you feel or change the world around you because of how you feel. But that's, that's only the work of God. Only mm-hmm. God can change things by fiat. Yes. Right. And you're not him. Mm-hmm. And so he's made you a very specific way and the way he made you was good. And so you need to, uh, you need to submit to that and submit to him. Mm-hmm. So that, that I think that's got to, going to have to be the, the sort of core of the message. And then we could build on top of that. But, yeah, and just to, I think the importance of leaning in on truth. I mean, truth is is. Uh, I think it's in Jeremiah it talks about the the word is, the word of the Lord is like a, a fire and a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't kind of hold back when you're swinging a hammer or or starting a fire. I mean, they're a force in themselves. And uh, and they have kind of inherent power to tear down strongholds. Mm-hmm. Um, so, at every opportunity we have, being very clear and very straightforward, and like Paul said, I didn't use kind of tactics and manipulation cunning. when I get cunning. Yeah. Uh, just kind of, this is the word of the Lord, an and, open declaration of the yeah, truth, and mm. and. Um, not kind of, here's the word of the Lord, along with all of the other words that you might be considering as well. It's like, here's the word of the Lord, and, and it's on you and me to respond to it. We can obey or we can disobey, but you can't uh, ignore it. We commend ourselves to each his conscience, Yeah, is what he said, I think. And yes, that's a very that's a very relevant text here. And it's, it's somewhat nerve-wracking. You're not buffering everything. Obviously, mm-hmm. speaking clearly, anticipating objections, being winsome is part of a clear presentation. But there's a way to do that in that you're actually avoiding the truth yes. right. rather than clarifying it and, and helping it to penetrate more deeply. And we just need to reject that. We need to reject the false dichotomy of um, or, or the idea that we only have either, you know, passive and truth avoidant or sinfully aggressive and blockheaded. Like those, those aren't your two options. Um, and I think how we live is important. You know, I was, I, I was reading as in Titus about not only his doctrine, but his good works, um, the pastor. And, you know, I think as people see husbands love their wives and fathers love their children and church members love each other. I think the church can stand as a city on a hill and will really stand in stark contrast. And this could be a a time of enormous 
fruit and harvest and growth for the church. And uh, the lines are clearer. The contrast is starker. That's not a bad thing. Yeah, it's not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. It just uh, it just made the line a little smaller. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But maybe we were like um, uh, like Gideon, you know. Maybe our army was too big. Mm-hmm. God had to send some people home. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, what else do you guys want to go with this? Yeah, I mean it's it's such a it's such a big topic. And another thing is that people um this whole kind of orienting one's identity around around one's sexual expression. It's it's just like yes, you aren't less than your gender. You're not less than your sexuality. That's part of uh living according to those things is part of um, living in accordance with how God made you to be and is the path to flourishing. But when you put so much weight, yeah, well, we can do it with anything. Yeah. Um, but especially uh, in the gender or politics, right? It's just like, this is their one thing. Mm-hmm. And it's just, that's all they've got. And that's, mm-hmm. and I think some of the vitriol can be explained um, right. when, when uh, you, you realize that. It's like, why are they so angry when we just want to have a conversation, right? It's like, well... This is what this is what they've landed on. They've been told that if they embrace their inner psychological self, that will lead them to uh, being whole, yeah. being complete. Yeah. And there's almost, I wonder, a, a bit of, along with the the anger on that, just um, the letdown. Yeah. Right. It's just like I, I took all this hormone therapy and and medication or whatever it is, and and uh, and I still feel miserable. Right. And That's, and the suicide. Yeah. I mean. The suicide rate, depression rate among transgender people is 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 through the roof. Yeah, right. I mean, you just can't even ignore for those statistics. the ones that are affirmed by all their friends and do the the surgeries yes. or the yeah that narrative that you know all of that is because they're not being affirmed and accepted by yeah. broader culture is just that's just false because everyone is affirming you. Everyone is affirming your sexual yep. progress. Well, and it's it's dangerous because it denies that there's such a thing as guilt and shame. Mm-hmm. All you have left is this shallow, narrow-minded narrative that those feelings, which humanity across culture, religion, time, has sought to understand in much more comprehensive terms. Why do I feel bad about this? It could be for a variety of reasons. There's one answer. I'm not affirmed or accepted, and I'm oppressed. That's it. So then the only response to those feelings is to blame someone and to get out of that instance. It's, It's like... If you, to to be, you know, as a matter of understanding, like if you truly believe that, um, you will just be filled with such despair and anger and disappointment because it's, we're sinners, all of us, <laughs> every day. Every day I sin. Every day I feel guilt and I feel shame to, a, to varying degrees and if I have no mechanism for dealing with those things except to blame yeah. others suppress for it and suppress, and suppress down, yes. that is fu- that is profoundly psychologically damaging. Yes, which is why you look at this and it's it's unhinged and it's it's irrational and um, it's because you're believing a lie. And and the irony is in the attempt to be fully human, you become you become actually less. Um, 
human in the sense that not that you lose dignity, that's not possible as an image bearer of God, uh, but that you actually are not living in the fullness of what a human being is. And you're not, you know, both in living out God's positive vision for us, but even dealing with our failures to live that out. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you and you and and you can't escape the principle, and it's articulated other times in scripture, as apart from just the world around us, you reap what you sow. Yeah. Yeah. When you when you are constantly sowing to trying to make yourself believe something that is so objectively insane, mm-hmm. and you keep doubling down on that. Like you say, that that has profound implications. That dam- yeah. it just damages you, right? To, uh, David talks about, uh, in one of the Psalms, uh, Jacob preached on it a few weeks ago, that when I... Uh, he's trying to just oh, ignore his yeah. sin. He's trying to... Uh, My bones wasted away within that's me. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and there's like profound when I remain physical, yeah. um, external factors that are, are taking place as yeah. a result of your unwillingness to uh, admit, confess to, and repent of sin. You can't ignore that. And you can't just suppress it away and bury it and hope that nothing's going to go wrong. Right? And what this bill does is it seeks to actually criminalize in law repentance. Yeah. 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 And repentance is like the release hatch for all the pressure of sin. Yes. And it's saying you can't touch that. Yeah. You need to just let it build up and build up and build up. It's like, but there's a there's a way out of this room. Yeah. You know? I never thought about that. And almost it it really Gives it a a, a diabolical pallor. Oh, uh, oh, yeah. When you think absolutely of it that way, right, forbidding and and making illegal repentance. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, the whole thing is diabolical. It is, yeah. Especially when when you hear these stories of people who've mutilated themselves and allowed themselves to be mutilated. It's 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 almost like Satan is just yeah. like uh, mocking. He's just mocking God by destroying yeah. destroying humanity and and, and God's getting image. them to do it to themselves. Yeah. Yeah, almost like uh, when God like, declared man and woman good, right? And now the devil is 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 defacing. Yeah, he's defacing. Yeah, what God yeah, is like declared vandalism. good. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And obviously, we're complicit in that too. It's not just we're being possessed by something. We make conscious decisions, right. but there's, um, yeah, the devil just hates anything that God says is good, right? I think this is an opportunity for the church as well to recover the doctrine of creation and just a comprehensive view of humanity, not just a simplistic, um, you know, I confess my sins and Jesus died on the cross and that's all there is to life. It's like, okay, but what does that, who was Jesus as the son of God? Who is Jesus as the ultimate image of God? Who is Jesus um, as the last Adam? Like, when you say Jesus, there's a whole Bible, essentially, uh, loaded in that phrase. And what we're seeing is kind of the fruit of the inability of the church through its like narrow, truncated gospel to actually speak to these things. Because we've it, it's like we've lived in a world where a lot of these assumptions are shared, or we thought they were. And now that we realize there's there's very little shared assumptions about the nature of reality and how you discern it and who gets to define it and who has the authority, once they all come, you know, they're stripped away, it's like, have we haven't even been thinking about these things until, you know, a lot of people haven't. And so I think there needs to be a, a, a reformation 
in the church, a revival in the church, especially in Canada, and a recovery to say, no, this little compartmentalized Christianity um, is is not a biblical picture, mm-hmm. and it can't bear the weight of this world, and it can't it can't bring the gospel to bear on this world. Do you think this? Um, I, I think it does, but do you, what would you say? How's this? How's this tie in with the the discussion we're having now on theonomy and mm-hmm. God's law in the public square and that sort of thing? Well, um, the, the, there are only two ways. It was a Van Taylor who said you either have autonomy or theonomy. So you have self rule right. or God's rule. There's only two options, right. and so uh, a, there's a caricature that that. It's just a total lie, and no one teaches this. Um, it, it's kind of like the caricature is that theonomists want to win politics to change the culture. Uh, I've never read or heard that stated or implied, and everyone I've listened to, I'm thinking Doug, Joe, Boot, um, teach that you know culture is the outward expression of one's religion. Right. Um, and this is how the ancients understood it. Caesar understood this. this is what a Christian applied were, beliefs. Yes, applied Culture beliefs. Is applied belief. Yeah, mis- yeah. And if you actually want to change the culture, then you can't do it through coercive top down means. You have to actually change the religion. Um, mm-hmm. So the way you do that is through the gospel, through the spirit working through the word and converting sinners and away from idolaters. And so as that relates to your question, what that does is it converts people away from self-rule to the rule of Christ right? and to his authority. And this is what it means to follow Jesus Christ as Lord. Um, when you say that you believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, it means that are you giving up your desire to rule your life, to define for yourself what is right and wrong, to define who you are? Um, to uh, and are you going to submit yourselves to God's authority and His definitions and limits, etc.? And so it's it's no wonder that I mean I think that's a great example of the church adopting the cultural view. In this right. rejection of theonomy is really no rash, no reasonable pastor who's actually read, um, who's actually read, say, Joe Boot or Doug Wilson, can actually make those comments, those caricatures. I think it's an aversion and a worldliness in the church, an aversion to God's authority. Because once you say that Christ is Lord, it means Caesar is not. And it means that the individuals are not. It means the individuals around us are not. And that everyone is called to repentance Mm -hmm. and obedience. And there's a standard over everyone. Um, Yeah. I think a lot of Christian leaders and Christians in general are scared of having to defend the Old Testament. You know what I mean? Like, oh, all the all the passages in the Old Testament that we find, you know, maybe jarring or the laws in there that we don't understand. That seem... I, I don't think it's the Old Testament. Really? Um, yeah, no, because a lot of times in this discussion, the thing that comes up is, oh, you just want a theocracy where we stone gay people and you can't wear... You know more than one type of fabric. In, no, because in, that's that's just that to me that's a way of escaping the conversation. Because there's a legitimate conversation once you say we are under God's law. Yeah, then you have to work it out. What is the law? Yeah, and I think sometimes uh, people who advocate for God's law being the standard 
um, are not as sensitive to the Bible's concern that we rightly uh, interpret that according to the fact that the progressive revelation of Jesus Christ and and um, what that means to the world around us, um, they would affirm that. But I think of their writing, they're often pushing against an antinomianism, an idea of neutrality, and they just kind of say God's law a lot. And it's like, what do you mean by that? But But Scripture is very concerned with how the Old Covenant, for example, translates to believers. Very concerned. Uh, and to get that wrong is to be a major gospel issue. It's a it's a huge problem, and the history of church bears out that yeah. that's a concern of Christians. But I see people avoiding that question because they don't want to have to sort and discern the Old Testament. Yeah, like, I think that's like, part of it. But... I'd, I'd take Andy Stanley as an example of that. Yeah, it's like that's an extreme example. Um, but I think people are just like they're shy about it. But the know? demands, and when I'm trying to. I think that's real. So there's a real question about how do we relate to the old covenant, but the demands of Jesus are huge. I mean, you don't get around the confrontation of God with sinful humanity by simply getting around the old covenant. Read the words of Jesus. You know who talked about hell? Jesus. That that's not that's not fleshed out to the fullest degree in the Old Testament. It's not. Um, the, the, but know, the cultural seeds per- of things. The cultural perception of Jesus, though, is Jesus meek and mild. So when you're having a, a, a conversation with an unbeliever, they're not going to bristle if you say, yeah, we should follow Jesus in the New Testament yeah. as, as much as they would if you were to revert that back or talk about the Old Covenant. Or yeah, like but the idea that there are less demands on followers of Christ than there yeah. were under Moses is actually just wrong. Um, there are greater demands on followers of Christ for several reasons. One, if the summation of the law, as Jesus said, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, all of the, the law and the prophets hang on these, They're mean, meaning they are all a manifestation of that um, law, uh, of that command, rather. Um, the height or the kind of Apex of love, according to Scripture, is the death of Christ in the place of sinners. This is love, not that you love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation of our sins. Um, God showed his love for us in this way, you know? And it's the, the death of Christ for his enemies is the highest expression of love. And that the New Testament says we ought to love as we have been loved, we ought to love one another. So the standard on believers is not less than it was in the old covenant. It's more. And and how you escape the obligations of of Christ's call is we're back into the waters of pietism again, right? Yeah. You 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 erect these kind of spiritual categories where Jesus makes demands on the spiritual parts of your life and the individual parts of your life. Um, but as far as larger demands... Um, costly demands. Costly demands, when it, yeah, when you actually have to take a stand somewhere where it's going gonna, it's gonna to hurt. Um, we don't like that. So we, it's, it's, again, we, it's easier to carve out categories where, yeah, Jesus is Lord. Uh, okay, well, what do you mean by that? Like when he tells you to... Um, sell everything you have to the poor and follow him. Like, 
what are you going to do? What's your response to that, right? Yeah. yeah. And the secular, um, sacred, I mean, that's our perpetual right. problem. The two-story. Right? It's like, yeah, this, the you know secular politics and these cultural issues, and those are all secular things, and we have our sacred you know the church and our issues and our bible studies and and those two never cross yeah. over into each other right? right the the point i was making to your point was simply that it's not as though there are people who are really 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 serious about following christ as revealed in the new testament and who are a little uneasy about the old okay so you said andy stanley he closed his church for like a year you know what I mean? It's right. like that wasn't because you just dismissed the old covenant. That's because you also dismissed the demands right. of Jesus. <laughs> like the problem is we don't like the demands of God is what I meant to say. Right. It's not an old new thing. It's like we don't like the demands that God places on us. Right. And if we can kind of create this narrative where there's ambiguity about the old covenant and theonomists are about the Mosaic law governing society, we can create this little caricature of things we're just trying to escape responsibility to to god's commands by obscuring what they are right do it do we really need to go to church on sunday are there any commands in the new testament to go to church on like these types of things yeah did god really say has god really said yeah 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 it's the first first argument Against obeying God, and it's uh, seemed to be effective then. I think yeah. Satan still uses it now, right? Obscure what he's yeah. revealed. Yeah, yeah. What's that called when you uh, when you obscure an argument with uh, oh, sophistry, uh, obfuscation, or something like sophistry. that? Sophistry or sophistry? Sophistry yeah, yeah, yeah. is now where you you just say some big long thing, and the whole point is just to yeah obscure, yeah, yeah. obfuscate. Yeah, that's the one. I do that all the time. Yep. <laughs> I just start talking, and then when a sentence starts actually making sense, I follow yeah, you the go trail. go down that trail, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was all a lead-up to that point, yeah. yeah. I don't even know how we got on this topic, speaking of C4, but uh, I guess, you know, in the, in the, in the coming years and decades, mm-hmm. we're going to be thinking a lot about uh, the civil realm yeah. and, and how uh, we're to relate to that, seeing as it's essentially, you know, we essentially live in a, in a country now where... Uh, the practice of Christianity is illegal yeah. to, to some degree, right? Mm-hmm. Which is pretty wild. Mm-hmm. Pretty wild to think of mm-hmm. that. It's, sorry, I just, uh, I was thinking about Lord of the Rings and the, uh, the I think ants. about that every day too. <laughs> the ants, <laughs> when it was like, they didn't want to go to war. They just wanted to stay in their forests. Uh, that's only in the movie though. It's not like that in the book. Right. Well, I am thinking of the movie. In the In the book, they're very resolute. They know what they need to do, which is mm. one of the reasons why I don't like the movie as much. I mean, so you're a music snob. snob and a book snob. So you're just going to undercut my whole illustration. Well, there. sure. According I mean, to Peter Jackson, the Ents were wimps until they physically they, saw with their own they eyes. Were, they the weren't wimps. They no. were kind of self-preoccupied right, right. and removed, Right. which is how a lot of Christians can be. Right. It's like... You're part of this world. You should probably be uh, helping in some yeah. way and addressing things with truth. Yeah. And I've never heard a Christian argue against um, laws against murder uh, on the grounds that we shouldn't mix religion and politics. Mm-hmm. But 
I mean, there's no naturalistic reason why murder is wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, especially it's, if that person <laughs> is like impeding your progress. Yeah, it's right. If it's actually your. It's if, a virtue. To if they're in your way, then you got to get rid of them. Yeah, yeah. But, eugenics. Uh, eugenics was the overflow of naturalistic yeah, thinking. Yeah. It's right. like the natural land. Right. Uh, but uh, you know, we're not arguing against that on the basis of uh, not interfering with politics. Mm-hmm. It's just that nobody. Uh, well, I shouldn't say nobody. But most people don't think you should murder other people. Yeah. They just redefine people as not people yeah. if they want to kill them. But, um, Except for, if we transition to books, hmm. I'm reading Paraland- Paralandra. Oh, yeah. Out of the the second planet. one? Out of the second planet. Oh, you're, you're, you're reading the, the first one. Out of the Silent Planet. Oh, yeah. I, I thought it was like a subtitle of that book. No, Paralandra's the second one. Okay. Um, do you still are, want to are go there, forward on this point now? I do. Okay. Are so, there tall, skinny, hairy, black, furry ones and tall, skinny, that, white ones? Think. Or It's definitely just the first book, and okay. he's on a spaceship. Gotcha. And the, I guess the scientist who kidnapped him. Yeah, Weston. Yeah, Weston. What's the other guy's name? Devine. Is, uh, Devine, yeah, Devine. He actually is willing to, um, you know, murder and harm mm-hmm. people. If it serves the greater good That's right. and, and the, the greater end. And uh, it's interesting that, you know, we talk about, you know, no one thinks, you know, you should kill people. It's like, but apart from the grace of God. Um, Have you read any history? Yeah, it's like we actually do think, <laughs> we do think that's okay. Yeah. Just scary. Have you uh, listened to any of Greg Bonson's debates? I've listened to 15 minutes of his famous one. With Stein? Yeah. Yeah. I listened to that this week, and then there was another one with uh, another guy, Tabash, that I'd never heard that I listened to. And, you know, his whole argument for grounding morality is uh, basically whatever is going to benefit the most people. Mm. You're like, okay, well, what if benefiting the 60% means you have to murder the other 40%? Mm-hmm. Well, no, we wouldn't do that because... You know, blah, blah, you know, always making excuses for why you wouldn't end up in that situation. Here's my principle. I'll just like, surrender it over here. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you have no basis for any of this. You're yeah. just making this up as you go. <laughs> Isn't that called like the greatest debate ever or something? The Stein one yeah. is, is, it's epic. Yeah. I mean, he was in way over his head. <laughs> Stein, when you hear Bonson speaking, he's just, he was a brilliant guy. Yeah. Like, he probably could have done that without notes or anything. Just get up and, like, here's my thing. Uh, we're going right for the jugular. He refuses to go down, like, you know, there, he makes all the, the standard atheistic arguments about, you know, the problem of evil and all this other stuff, and Bonson just doesn't take the bait. He mm-hmm. just sticks on the main point. It's like, you have no basis for for believing that uh, that anything's going to be the same tomorrow as it is today, mm-hmm. that uh, you're, you're basing everything on reason. Um, but you have no reason to base anything on reason mm-hmm. because we're all just cosmic accidents. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, it was it's a great debate. I I highly recommend it. Greg Bonson and Stein. What are, what are you reading? I am reading um, Andrew P. Andrew Sandlin's. Oh. Uh, it's kind of a book of his essays dealing with creation, mm. the importance of having a kind of. A, a gospel in the context of a larger bibliology and, and mm. creation, fall, redemption, right? You need all, that is the story. That's the flow of the story. And you need that context to understand um, 
the gospel and, and obedience and all. It's it's very good. I, I really do appreciate Andrew Sandel in our ways and and he. Um, the book is a little odd. I don't know whether you guys have ever read books like these where it's kind of um, uh, an amalgamation of a number of articles that someone has written mm. over a, a length of time. So there's some repetition and um, certain themes are kind of hammered home, which are good. But uh, yeah, his 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 treatment on um, kind of the Gnostic revival in modern pietism is, is pretty brilliant. Mm-hmm. Uh, very relevant, I think. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I really, I really appreciate him. Yeah. I finished reading um, um, the Doctrine of the Lesser Magistrates by mm-hmm. Matthew Trujillo mm-hmm. this week. That was really good, quite helpful. I have a copy for you, Ben. Oh, it's a quick read, actually. I, oh, I it's great. I listened to it, and it's, it was like a three-hour listen, so yeah. it wasn't even that that long. Quick reads, and now I'm on to uh, Wokeness and Christianity by Owen Strawn. Oh yeah, you've read that one. I haven't, no, no but I, I appreciate Owen Strong. Yeah, me too, and uh, it's good so far. It's good so except for the guy that got reading the book doesn't know how to pronounce any any of the names. Like he clearly doesn't know who Owen Stra- Strawn is. He pronounces Owen his name Strachan, Strachan. yeah, and Vaudi Bauchum, and uh, what was the other one? Um, it was obviously it's some theologian that that you wouldn't really know unless you were a Christian, and uh, he's trying to pronounce these names. Harry Carey, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Audiobooks read by Harry Carey. That'd be great. Wow. Yeah. I think I found my niche, guys. We're just going to have to have a Dominion podcast where you just go through your impressions. Because from what I've seen, Jared, it's, it's quite, it's impressive. You've got a number. My of impressions are impressive. Yeah. That's great. Which one? I'm very uh, Which ones do you know? I, well, I don't even know which you ones did another I do. another one from uh, the, the Christmas story a few weeks ago at our Christmas party. Yeah. Nobody knew what I was talking about. No, but it was great. It was from, uh, I did it from from uh, the Chevy Chase Christmas movie. Uh, yeah. And, oh, yeah. And you guys were like, I've never seen that. And I was like, what? Yeah. It's like, I have seen that when I was like eight. Yeah. yeah Anyways, I just think it's a good skill that you, oh, thank you. work on thank you. more. Thank you. Well, we were joking before that I was doing a Harry Carey impersonation. Well, I was doing an impersonation of Will uh, Ferrell yeah, doing, doing a Harry Carey yeah. impersonation. And they're like, wow, you, you memorized that pretty good. And yeah. I was like, yeah, I wish I could memorize scripture that good. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that the way? Yeah. yeah. Hey, should we give a shout out as we close to our unofficial official sponsor? That's right. Kawartha Classical Christian School yep. dot com dot org. Check it out. CA. Send your kids. If you Send love them all. These guys uh, are both involved with the teaching. Um, and all three of us are on the board. Yeah, I teach um, uh, history of baseball that's right because that's, that's my we, that's my my subject of expertise we just go through the it's going to save our civilization the roots and a recovery of a recovery baseball. of classical baseball yeah baseball formation baseball how it started as uh some other weird game yeah in england and then yeah. morphed and yeah Sounds like a documentary by Ken Burns in there somewhere. <laughs> He's got a baseball documentary. It's oh, like, does he? It's oh. like 20 hours long or something. It's, yeah. it's huge, like all of his documentaries. No, but it's a great place. Yeah. Uh, you, you did a good podcast on that last week. Yeah, that was that was good with Principal Auger, the Augerstein. I like that. St. Augerstein. Um, what do you teach when you teach there? You just fill in when, uh, I when other people get COVID. I teach some writing, some language arts. We do a, a literature 
study. That's fitting. I just preside mainly. I just float around and you wear a robe, like a tenured professor. I occasionally wear a robe. Nice, nice. And what do you teach? I teach history and theology and gym. And Rebecca, your wife teaches. She teaches grade one too. And uh, one also, or one and yeah, one and two, one and two. It's in one class. Yeah. And um, Mel teaches kindergarten. Kindergarten, right? And does art and whatnot. Yeah, some of the art stuff. Well, yeah, it's a great, uh, it's a great place, and uh, we love brainwashing those kids, you know. Yeah, just those precious, precious little children. <laughs> that was funny last week when when uh, Ryland said that. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say, oh, he said that. Okay, that's fine. Then. It's a negative term for most people. Um, we indoctrinate them in the right things. Anyway, <laughs> thanks so much for joining us. I'm gonna leave you. You know, I don't need that. I got I got it memorized by oh, now. Good. See, there you go. I got it memorized by now. Stuff. Thanks for joining us on the Dominion podcast. We'll see you next week, and we'll leave you with this: May He have dominion from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth.